0: I love that little sound when it comes on. Hello, John Schuller. Hello, Brandon Gore. Today we're going to be talking with Joe Bates, our distributor of Kodiak Pro products in the U.S. for less than pallet quantities. And we have a lot of things to cover with Joe. One of the big things we want to talk about, something you've not been talking about, is getting out of your own way. And there's so many different subtopics on that that we could go into. I think today we're going to focus just on one or two of them. But we're going to cover sure. pigment loading, um, blocking out the undersides of countertops, things like that. Things that we've been asked about this week on the forum, so we'll go into those things. But before we go down that road, I just want to hit super quick a couple really fast things. One is if you're not yet doing it, follow us on on Facebook. So go to Kodiak Pro, like us, join the Facebook discussion group for Kodiak Pro. And a lot of these conversations continue online and people ask questions that we answer online. And a lot of those questions we end up answering on the podcast. So it's a good way to keep the conversation going. If you would go to Spotify or Apple and leave us a review, that's very helpful. If you do any of those things and you want one of our rad stickers that we have concrete gangster or concrete is hard, never underestimate hydraulic pressure. Send us a email with your address and what sticker you want and we'll put that in the mail to you. So it's number one. Number two, follow us on Instagram. We've never had said that before, but we actually have quite a few followers now. But we'd love for you to follow us on Instagram. We have a Concrete Podcast on Instagram. We have a Kodiak Pro Instagram. Both of those are available in the description of this podcast. So you can click on those links. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I want to hit on is a current promotion we have right now called Upgrade Your Mix, Upgrade Your Business, which is a $250 off promotion off your next palette order of mad can't talk mad mix should be called mad mix mad max mad mix (laughs) of rad mix or maker mix and we've actually had one person send us their video we've had several people contact us that are in the process of making their video but what this is about is every week you and i john talk to people that have made the switch to kodiak pro they love everything about it they tell us you know how much different and better their mix is their color fastness, the sealer performance, the strength, the um, surface quality, all these different things. So they they tell us these things. We hear these conversations privately, but we want to do videos sharing with everybody else what we continually hear. So if you'll make a video essentially sharing your experience, and there's three parts that we want you to cover. Why you made the Switch Kodiak Pro, what specifically is better about the mix, and number three, how has or how will these improvements help your business? Cover those in the video. We will send you a uh, custom invoice in your next order. $250 off your order. So that's what I want to cover. What do you have?
1: No, uh, to add to that, uh, I really look forward to that is getting the feedback from people who made the the switch for uh, 99% of the reasons that you and I discuss that can make other people roll their eyes. Like, uh, you know, how can it be different? What's different? The noise that's out there coming from all different angles. And sometimes it really can so when these people have made the choices that they've made, they get it in their hands. They're pouring projects with it. They're seeing the difference. They're living the difference. Their business is seeing the difference. It's so exciting to hear from those people. And part of that is, you know, a $250 coupon to say thank you. So that's, you know, I love it.
0: I would call it a coupon. A coupon cheapens it. Promotion. I'm sorry, man. Yeah. a promotion. Yeah, I'll stick with promotion. Okay. Because you say coupon, I start thinking like Bed Bath & Beyond. Like they're going to get this big blue thing in their mailbox, you know, every other day.
1: (laughs) Right. Uh, Tuesday, 25% off coupon. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: yeah. Does anybody even pay full price at Bed Bath & Beyond? Is that a thing? I don't know. No, I think
1: it's like Joanne's Fabrics. I don't think you ever pay full full price. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. there's always something. To add to the get out of your own way, I want to do this as a series So people listening. This is a series. We're going to talk... And we're going to break it down into all the multiple subjects. And what that's really about is us as artisans, putting preconceived notions on everything from training to materials, to sealers, to business itself, to, you know, what we're offering and why we're offering. And so many times, even in my own past, I've so much gotten into my own way that has cost me. Time, energy, materials, you know, when so much of this could have been alleviated, if I would just step out of my way. That's that's kind of that's what I want to dig into over several podcasts moving forward.
0: Yeah. So well, I'm we, s- we self-sabotage. We self-sabotage. We you know, people for for example, color, which has been kind of a, a discussion we've had a few times as of late with people calling us, is they get mm-hmm. in their mind that a white mix needs to be the color of copy paper, white. And they have this. Now, the client doesn't have this idea, but they have nope. this idea. And so when they take Maker Mix and then they cast it and they cure it properly, it's going to be a much denser mix. And in turn, it's going to be kind of a more of a silvery, you know, white color. But it's, it's not a burn-your-eyes-out white, but it's very obviously a white concrete. It's not a gray Portland concrete. But in their mind they've made this determination and and they're getting in their own way instead of saying this is the product when i take the best products out there and i cure them properly and i demold it this is what it is and if you show it to a client they say i love it i love it or if right. they say hey i want it wider than that well we we talked about that last week's podcast we don't need to cover it again but if you want to get it even wider we go over that in last week's podcast so listen to that episode and we we cover those steps but that's just an example of how people self sabotage they make these determinations yeah, we in their do mind it. yeah it's not, it's not right. a customer that has these preconceived notions and, you know, kind of just muddies the water and makes it difficult. We do it to ourselves. Could be anything from the materials we use, the textures we create, the final looks that we think it should
1: be, the, the sealers we use. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's installation.
0: a huge subject. Installation. Yeah, installation. You know, installation. Yeah. It's one of the things I, I tell people, I don't do installations. How do you, how do you not do installations? Because I don't. I just tell customers, I don't do installations. I'm a product manufacturer. I'll ship it to you in a crate. Your general contractor can subcontract out whoever he wants to subcontract to uncreate it and install it. But it blows yeah. people's minds because in their mind, they think that we have to offer installation. And a lot of guys do, and that's great. More power, too. If you want to do installation, be my guest do installation. But it is possible in this industry to make products and not do installations. You can yeah. make that boundary as part of, the, of part of your product. And if a customer wants your product, they're happy to do it. But, again, it's mm-hmm. getting out of your own way, getting past this this mental block of nobody's going to hire me if I don't do installation. Yeah, they will.
1: Well, and that could be said too. That's what part of pricing. I know we've, we've talked about that so many times, but all of these are the kind of things that that, uh, we're going to do, you know, keep doing these over the next few weeks, break them down, and we're going to have a a good time doing it.
0: Yeah. I I remember what I was going to talk about is me and you and Dusty keep throwing around this idea and we've hinted at it in past podcasts of doing some kind of fun event at Dusty's place. And I talked to Dusty today, and he's looking at dates. But just to let everybody know, keep your summer open. Don't make any plans for the summer. Don't go to Disneyland. Don't make a trip to the beach. Just completely (laughs) block out the entire summer because at some point this summer, we're going to have some kind of really, really fun event for two days out at Dusty's farm where we get crazy and wild and have a great time and just hang out with other concrete people passionate about concrete i guess the best way to put it people that are passionate about the craft of concrete and making quality products we're gonna have two days where we have a good time so keep that open because we're gonna make an announcement here soon as soon as we can lock down a date the sooner we can lock down a date the better we'll get it out there and people can start making travel arrangements and it is going to be a ton of fun
1: yeah awesome i look forward to it well buddy should we get joe yeah let's get joe
0: all right. Let's give him a call. Let's give him a
1: call. Hello, Joe.
0: Hello? Is this Joe or is this John? <laughs> this is...
1: I'll be Joe. I
0: can't even do Joe's voice. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I have an impersonation of Joe, but I can't even remember how to do it right now. How do I do a Joe? Oh, God. Sometimes I like sometimes I can do a perfect Joe Bates, but right now it's not one of them.
1: I can do a Christopher Walken. <laughs> All right. All right, let's hear that one. Okay. I don't believe it.
0: Uh Uh, uh Hello, my name is J- ah, fuck it, I already fucked it up. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's
1: right. <funny>. Uh, <laughs> All right. All right, let's give him a call. All right.
0: Hello, John Schuler and Joe Bates.
1: Hello, Brandon. Hello, Joe.
0: Hi, Brandon. Hi, John. Doctor. Really good. Doctor, Sounds right? You got spies <laughs> like us? Anybody? I'm, I'm the only one. Oh Let's... man, that hey, was a great movie. It I haven't was. thought about that in years. Doctor, 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 doctor. <laughs> we gotta do it for like 20 and minutes back and forth. It's
2: totally relevant too, because we're <laughs> right back in the midst of the Cold War. We are. We are. Very true. I'm, I'm worried about my Russian plywood supply. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's gone for good.
2: And is it politically incorrect to still buy it if it is available?
0: It is. Exactly.
2: It is. It's supporting right. Russian people. They're the ones that need to end this. Anyway, yep. I won't get
0: political. A few things we're going to talk about this week, but uh, one of the ones that John and I have been talking about is getting out of your own way. And there's so many different subtopics to that conversation that we can have. But one of the ones that came up this week was training. Somebody reached out to us. They're considering going to another training course and they're asking about our course. And by the way, we don't have one set right now. We're getting ready to set the one for the summer. And we're talking about doing a really fun event this summer. Training super important. Number one, you know, a lot of guys, including me, John and Dusty did go our own way. For so long, and we have each one of us close to twenty years or over twenty years of experience of doing things the hardest way possible, making mistakes, losing tons of money, learning from those mistakes, doing it again, making mistakes, losing tons of money, and our training's built on that. Our training's built on success, obviously, but the success is a result of countless failures that led to those successes that you know essentially solidified what works, what doesn't work. So I think it's insanely important for concrete artisans to get out their own way in a sense of you don't have to do that. There is an option to to attend a training class and learn from people that have, have already been down that road. The thing that kind of came up with the training was, how are we, his question was, how are we different than what's the competition was doing? And, you know, it's kind of getting off subject from get out of your own way, but it was an important conversation. And really the big difference is, and this also goes for materials, is John, Dusty, and I do this for a living. And you too, Joe, and, you know, you you handle tech support, you're selling Kodiak Pro, you handle tech support. You do this for a living. And I've heard some, I wouldn't say derogatory type comments, but they, they try to paint us a negative light. The other companies out there are like, we don't compete with our, our attendees. We don't compete with our students. Listen, we don't compete with our attendees. We do this for a living. We're your, we're your peers. But because yeah. we do this for a living, the information that we teach is a thousand times more current and a thousand times more relevant. And that goes for materials as well. We are the only company in this market that actually uses the products for client projects that we sell. Everybody else is just a salesman, whether that's of knowledge or of products, but they don't have any real world experience or knowledge in how to, to use those things, whether it's knowledge or products. So anyways, that was kind of the gist of the conversation I had with this, this person that called, what are your thoughts?
2: It's so true. I mean, it, you, uh, I get it. It's a really interesting point. I've never really looked into the other training available out there too much in terms of what their advertising is, but that's kind of crazy that they would say something. I-, I could see it as a selling point, and and we don't compete with our own our own attendees. But then the flip side of it is, it's hard to be in touch with what's really going on when you're not putting that product out every day and you're not changing and innovating with the industry. Uh, and understanding what's happening once that goes in somebody's house, and to me, that's just a no-brainer value add for any kind of training. I would actually want the person that's teaching me to have be putting products out. That that's nothing but a good thing, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, it's a it's an even bigger picture than that. So to start with, for me, this whole like kind of getting out of your own way. I'm mean, even put it on the three of our shoulders. Now, you know, Joe and I have been trading information for as long as I have known Joe, uh, Brandon, yourself as well. And and so to me, one of the points I know me getting in my own way was that I didn't need training, right? Like, why would I go to a training? But part of that was, or a big part in any, is that the training the perceived value of the training that's being offered out there, at least the ones that I saw, they were all really about product training. Like, you know, I could go to Florida for two days with such and such company and, you know, learn how to use their product. Like, well, okay, or, you know, go to someone else, maybe there's Southern kind but it was all about product training, which due to the fact I felt like I was go- you know, going my own path, I just didn't need that as training. Looking back on that 20 years, if I would have stepped back for a second and in this case, put my own, you know, whatever myself and just stepped out of my way for a minute and gone and learned some things from some hopefully experienced artisans. These were the things they were doing. This is the reason why they were using those products and being successful with those products. That would have saved me a lot of potholes in business, you know, that I, that I stepped in how many times over the years, you know, that, that would have saved me a lot of time, energy, and money and being a lot more successful out of my shop. If I had, if I had done that, there's no question about it.
2: Stubborn male pride is
1: why you didn't. Oftentimes
2: you told yourself you didn't need any training. I still tell myself that. (laughs) <laughs> That's what I mean, right? Yeah, 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 I don't need to do that. I don't
1: need to do that. You know, the people who diagnose themselves by going to WebMD, <laughs> you know what I mean, or some kind of Google search to find whatever, you know, hypochondriac-based thing that they think they have, instead of actually going to a licensed doctor, even more so into the experienced field that that doctor may be in. Hence why you don't go to your family practitioner if you need to go to a brain surgeon, you know what I mean, or an oncologist or whatever the case may be. I think that keeps being one of the difficult things for anybody new to this industry or looking to move in this industry, meaning, you know, accelerate their business or their business offerings or better information, in the materials they're using, maybe they're having problems of some sort. Is So, yeah, I mean, how do you navigate that when even a person who had a business for, I don't know, let's say two years and then switched over to doing nothing more than teaching but but writing lots of articles, which makes them a perceived value of an influential source of information, how do you take that and navigate that whether or not it was good for you? I mean, that, that's a tough thing to do. and I, So I, really, that's up to the individual, I think, to decide what kind of training. You do want to go learn about a product. That's certainly a way. Or do you go, I mean, I know where we stand. We stand is, even with the three of us, are you using the materials that you would show people have to use? Yes. Yeah. Or are you just selling them? Okay, well, you know, are you using the sealers? Well, Yes. Or are you just selling them? (laughs) You know, did you recently get paid by a customer, putting it into whatever environment, commercial or residential, and have an expectation out of something that legitimately came out of your, you know, shop space? Yeah. And, And to me, that's the relevant side if you're going to be looking for training. That's who I'd want to go, you know, learn training from.
0: Yeah. Well, two things. Two things I want to hit on real quick on that. Number one is, in our classes, John, it's not a sales pitch. It's not a sales pitch at all. We we use Kodiak Pro products, but in this last class, we had a guy, Harvest Leisure. Phenomenal name, by the way. I love the name Harvest Leisure. So good. But Harvest, in the class, (laughs) makes his own mix using CSAs. And he doesn't use Kodiak Pro products, and that's fine. You know, we'll talk about Kodiak Pro, but if you have your own mix, John spent a lot of time with Harvest discussing how to improve his mix. What can he do? What, what poslins can he add? What can he change about his mix? How can he improve that mix? And that's totally fine. We will support whatever products you use to the full ability that we can. We will help you however we can. So you don't have – if you come to one of our classes, you don't have to use Kodiak Pro. You don't have to make the switch to Kodiak Pro. We do believe it's the best, but that's just our belief. If you have something you like, like Harvest does, great. We will help you however we can. That's That's our – commitment to our attendees but the second thing is there's one other training source out there they formed their company essentially in 2001 and they dissolved their company in 2005 so they were in the game for four years but when they dissolved their company that was 17 years ago 17 years ago how much has this industry changed in 17 months much less 17 years well joe will even attest
1: to that i mean joe (laughs) i mean you've been here for a while i mean we talk quite often in your opinion, how much of what you're doing and why you're doing it has literally either accelerated and changed, let's even say in the last i don't know two years
2: oh, it's you know it's a huge change in the last couple of years. I mean, it, I think there's been great strides in the in product improvement uh, that have really driven that change, thanks to you guys and willingness to step out and you know, take risks and and go, we can do this better and putting your money where your mouth is and actually doing it. So, yeah, and you need up-to-date training on that. So people that have taken your classes in you know five, six, seven years ago, you know you probably want to take them again. I mean it's repeated repeated product training. you want to get in there, you want to you want to do it, but the only reason that your class has changed is because the products have changed, and you're using them and moving along with them. Which is really the cool part. The processes change. And because you're putting products out there and you've got to stand behind those products and you want the best possible thing available to get out there, you're changing too. And in turn, you can turn around and pass that along to your students and build on not only the you know long history of teaching classes that you guys have, but also you know be able to fold in the product innovation that comes from actually putting stuff out there in the real world and, and having to stand behind those products. So, you know, it, it just speaks for, it seems like it should be obvious, but you know, sales pitches are strong and, and you can go read a lot of stuff and, and end up in a different class and a different person. And, and unfortunately you can, it, it becomes very easy when somebody really says and, and does a good job of telling you to do it one way or the other, whether it's right or wrong, it's very easy to take that as gospel in the moment and come back to your shop and then really get stuck in your ways, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And then it, they they're talk about, you know, getting out of your own way. It's just like, hey, I went to XX and X class 15 years ago. This process has gotten me by to this point. I don't want to change because I know what I'm doing. It's like, you need to look up, you need to look around, you need to get out of your own way and look at what else is out there and go in and refresh the training.
0: Everybody, besides me, John, Dusty and you, we're the ones teaching to actually do this. Everybody else is a salesman. They're either a salesman of antiquated techniques or they're a salesman of antiquated products, but they're all salesmen. They're not actual craftsmen or users of the products they teach, promote, the techniques they teach and promote. They didn't develop the techniques or the materials they teach or promote. So, mm. you know, that's, it, it's just insane. It's insane. So
1: there's a perfect example for like, when I go down to Joe's, Joe, in my opinion, and you could tell me otherwise, I always learn something. I go, so Joe is constantly focused on new forming materials and new forming techniques. You know, I mean, you made the joke earlier about the uh, the plywood, but I never knew that stuff
0: existed and, and why you were using it. Joe developed the back roll technique that we all use now for ICT. No, exactly. Joe developed right. Yes, that. he did. Yeah, because he yeah. does this for a living. He looked right. for a better way and developed a better way. And now we've all adopted it as an industry that uses these products.
1: Agreed. Yeah, and that's to me, those that's the perfect example of learning things from people who do it rather than somebody who is just selling it.
2: And, and having an open mind and, and, and being able to get together with other artisans, even if it's not in a formal class setting. But, man, you know, when we just do something at the shop and it just kind of organically turns into its thing and John's like, I'll come down. And, you know, it ends up sort of being this sort of informal get together or class that just – to get together with everybody and talk shop and cast a couple of pieces together and look at somebody else's shop and see what's going on there. I mean, having a friendly, open source environment like that, that's what's gotten me as far as it has. Any, you know, the play dates that I threw in my at, at my shop a couple of times, those were just huge advancements. When people can get together and talk and make things together. Whether it's in a class environment, man, you just leaps and bounds forward and and then you got to go back and you got to do a refresher. You have to see other people do it, and you have to see them do it every few years so that you stay up on it and you you, you get it, yeah, because it's real easy to to make copies of your own thing and and lose resolution on it and start changing right. how it's done, even though you think you're doing it the way you saw
1: it x amount of years. This is something that just happened recently. I wanted to talk about the steps in blending material. And these steps, the three of us, you know, we know them, you know, we could be blindfolded. <laughs> We've done it so many times and we know exactly why we do it. So here's an example. Some of the information out there that's, again, by, by professionals was the idea of put all your dry ingredients together, put the liquids in, and the plasticizer. And you mix it up, so you know. So we we did. We got a call from somebody, um, a little you know, like, hey, what the hell? This, this seems so hard to mix. Now I'll tell you, anybody who talks to me in tech support, and I'm guessing Joe will do the same thing. I interrupt a lot because I'm first asking questions. Don't just vomit at me. Almost like, let me vomit at you. Let me ask the questions, because I'm going to be very precise in my questions. I need to know amounts. I need to know when, where, why. So so I kept asking the question when he was trying to tell the story. And essentially, once we got to the end, all his materials were correct. I had no problem with that. He was using a a decent amount of plasticizer, water, sand. um, You know, it didn't matter. But then, okay, now, walk me through your steps. He's like, oh, well, you know, I put it in a bucket, and I put the water in, and I started mixing. And I'm like, oh, my God, no, man. You got to – you know, you need well, to hold pull
0: – Hold on. Tw- it, yeah, it wasn't even ahead. that. It wasn't – I put it in a bucket, and I put the water in. He put all the sand and all the cement right. in a bucket. That's
1: then he saying, dumped the water on yeah. top.
0: There, it's impossible right. to mix. If you put all your dry in <laughs> and then pour the liquids yeah. on top. Good luck, buddy. No. It's not going to mix. No, yeah. It's it's going to be <laughs> very tough on your mixers, hand mixer
1: or otherwise. So, you know, the three of us can giggle about it because we know exactly why. Not because we read it in a book. You know what I mean? Not because somebody told us. I mean, we've lived through it. Joe, what are your steps?
2: Oh, my God. Steps? It's so funny because we just went through this. <laughs> Shout out to my guy, Carlos. He likes to work hard when he mixes stuff. Uh, <laughs> I come out there in the in, and I just see him fighting it every time. And I'm just like... You still got ice in there, man. You just let that stuff melt out while it's nice and liquid and running and get your fibers in. And then you just ease that last little bit of cement in there and you won't fight it. It'll be creamy and beautiful. And it's not going to be a problem. But it just, you know, ah, slow and steady, man. Don't don't push that. Don't push that process. And yeah, I mean, our process, you know, it it varies a little bit depending on the end result we're trying to get. At its core, we, uh, if it's in a big imer, we'll add all the dry ingredients, and you know, because it's got so much power, we will pre-blend the color and the plasticizer in there, and then we'll pull out a bucket, or two buckets, depending on how much we have in the imer of of that dry mix. So it's not you don't have everything in there, and that way, when you add the water on top. Uh, and, well, actually, while it's mixing, you still get a nice liquid, you know, really super runny, soupy mix there up f- at first. And then you can get your fiber in there and slowly add the remainder of your
0: dry. And I just want to know, you're using, you're using PVA fiber. You wouldn't do that with glass. But PVA, you'd put it in at that point.
2: Yeah. Glass would go in at the very, very end if we used it. Exactly. Uh, just barely mix it in
0: um hand mixing uh it's a
2: little different we have the water in the bucket first and uh, we slowly add uh, we'll put our pigments in and then we'll put the first few pounds of cement and the plasticizer in and uh, slowly continuing adding the cement until we have ice melted and a nice soupy mix get the fiber in there uh, mix that in pretty thoroughly if it's pva and then slowly work in
0: I put all my liquids, if I'm hand mixing, in in the bucket. I put my plasticizer in the bucket. If I'm using pigment, I put it in the bucket. I hit it really quick, blend it together, Then I put in, let's say I'm using four bags of Maker Mix. I'll put in two bags right up front, just dump them in, mix it. It'll be like water because it's mainly water at that point. Then I'll add the third bag, mix it up, and then once that's really thoroughly blended, and by then the ice is normally melted – I'll I'll slowly add in the fourth bag. You know, I say slowly over the course of like 30 seconds while I'm mixing, a helper is just uh, loading that in. Mix that up, get it good, let it slake for 10 minutes. One slake, 10 minutes, set a timer, come back, mix it up again, add my fibers in, boom, pour it, end of story, perfect.
2: Yeah, I can't can't, uh, overstate the uh, slaking process. 10 full minutes, I mean- I make my guy set a timer if I catch them doing it for less, you know, or getting impatient with it. It's just like, dude, the more the merrier you're here. i well within reason. Don't yeah. leave it for two hours, but Exactly. <laughs> or an hour. <coughs> yeah. But um Not yeah, nine minutes, you know. not eleven minutes, ten minutes. Ten minutes. On the And dock. then uh, you know, make your remix it and make your final adjustments uh, if you need any, but it's gonna be a truer read on what what you're gonna get for the next 20 minutes while you're casting than if you just uh, if you don't let it slake.
0: I haven't had to make any final adjustments in months and months and months. John and I have been working on really dialing, and you have too, really dialing in our mixes. And so you're using a lot of rad mix, Joe, but I'm using all maker mix, 100% maker mix. And for me, I'm at 76 grams, and I'm doing an SEC GFRC for everything. I'm at 76 grams of TBP on the money. And if I replace, you know, a portion of my water with ice, and I'm at 10% right now of ice replacement. And I had a question about that. Somebody asked me, like, well, how do you do that? And, you know, let's say you're doing six pounds of water. If I'm doing 10 pounds, or I'm sorry, 10%, that'd be 0.6 pounds. So I just hang my bucket, tear it, zero it out, add in approximately 0.6 pounds of ice in the bucket, then get my hose and fill up the rest. So it says six pounds. There you go, six pounds of liquid. A little bit of that is ice, 10% of it's ice. The rest of it's water. It might melt in a bucket, whatever. Dump it in, mix it up. And I'll check it with an, an infrared digital thermometer. And you want to be right around 55 to 60 degrees at the time of casting. And so you need to check it right before you go and pour it and see where it's at. And if it's warmer than that, we'll bump your ice up. If it's colder than that, lower your ice on the next next mix and kind of keep you know a, note, a little notebook with your notes. That'll make a world of difference with your mixes. But as long as your ice is dialed, the plasticizer for me hasn't changed one gram either direction. It has been absolutely spot on perfect.
2: There's a whole bunch of people in the US that are going to be putting 76 grams in them in their mix and expecting it to be perfect. <laughs> it you is perfect.
0: That, right? It is perfect. But let me tell you, it's perfect if you have your ice right, which I'm really surprised how many people don't. It's actually shocking. The number of calls that me and John talk to each week of people that are either doing 50% ice or no ice, or they're putting ice in a bucket but dipping the water out of the bucket, which is what I used to do way back in the day because I was worried about ice not melting, and they have the same fear. Believe me, the ice will melt, but they're, they're doing that whole thing, and their mix isn't getting cold enough by doing that. So as long as you're tempering your mix with, with either ice water or if you're, we talk about this, it's very rare, but if you're in Alaska and you're in a really cold shop with really cold water, you might need to use warm water to be at 60 degrees. Because if you just use your tap water in your shop, you might be at 45 degrees when it's mixed. Well, that's too cold. So, but for most people, 99% of people out there, you're going to use some ice, whether it's 10%, 20%, 30%, whatever it is, where you are, you use some ice. But as 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 long as you ice your mix, so it's 60 degrees Fahrenheit at the time of casting, and you do that 10 minute slake. One, listen, everybody, one slake, not two, not three. One slake for 10 minutes. You do those two things, you will end up with a perfect mix. John and I, this last class, well, I say last class, the, the um, open studio we did, right? I do SEC, GFRC for everything. And that's all I've done now for I don't know how many years, seven, eight, nine years. I haven't sprayed a face coat in forever. It's nothing but a world of pain. You want to do it? Be my guest. I'm just saying, me personally, I stopped doing it. Do the fiber show? No, they don't show. All the concrete in my shop, the wall panels, the sinks, everything I ship to clients, no fiber show. And so, you know, we were telling everybody about the fibers don't show. We don't have any air pockets and everything in the class before the Pinnacle Concrete Camp came out perfect. No fiber showed, no air pockets, no pinners. They came out perfect. So we do this, this uh, open studio and the day before the open studio on Sunday, John and I came in to just pour some uh, round tabletops. I have these old rubber molds I made years ago. We come in, we mix up a bag of maker mix but we're in a hurry because it's Sunday and we're tired. We just got done teaching a class. Do we let it slake? Nope, we don't. Did we use ice? No. John's like, you want to use ice? I'm like, ah, I don't want to use ice. Just, let's just mix it, right? Mm-hmm. So we mix it. We don't let it slake. We just dump it in the, in the mold, right? Ah, whatever. It's going to be fine. So we do that. And then the other part of this whole equation is these rubber molds, A, they're crappy, smooth-on rubber molds from back in the day. Now, whatever. Smooth-on rubber molds, I'm actually surprised they last this long because most of them only last me a couple months before they fall apart. Way back then, I don't know what release I was using, but I'm sure it was a silicone-based release, which another tip for people listening, don't use silicone-based releases. Aquacon from Smooth-on, shout out to Smooth-on, is the best release on the market. But uh, I used some silicone release back then. So first of all, they had this old silicone in them. That that sucks. But the other thing about the rubber is if you really kind of shake the rubber around, it's kind of got like a deadening effect to the concrete. So if I pull the rubber mold to the edge of the table and I lift it up and drop it, lift it up and drop it, lift it up and drop it, the fibers that normally bounce up off the surface, like with a melamine form or fiberglass form, it didn't do that. But I don't use rubber forms like that. I usually use rubber form as like a sink form, not the actual entire surface, meaning the, the, the flat surface and edges and everything. It's usually just a part of a bigger form. So anyways, I pull these rubber molds to the edge Lift them up, blah, 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 blah drop them. We're good. So we do the class. We do the demo day. And uh, we flipped the piece over, pull it, air pockets, and fiber showing. The two things I said would not happen, of course it happens, right? And, dude, again, it never happens. It, never, it doesn't happen in private. It didn't happen in this, the six-day workshop we did right before this. But it happens in this. And I told him, guys, okay, John and I cut corners yesterday. We didn't, we didn't use ice. We didn't slake, number, number one. Number two is I should have done a better job cleaning these molds out. I know they had old release in them because I wasn't using Aquacon way back in the day when I poured these for a client. I just pulled them off the shelf. And that's my fault because silicone releases hold air. And I can tell that these things are covered in silicone release. Uh, I was like, you know, we'll cast them today. And that's what we did at the class. We mixed up mix and we cast it. And I said, but today we're going to do ice and we're going to slake and we're going to pour them. And we did that. And I didn't, I didn't like lift up and drop the molds. I just lightly bumped the table with my, my hand just to give it a little bit of shake let it go and I told them when I popped these out and they weren't there on Monday but when I popped these out on Monday they'll be perfect and guess what they were perfect perfect but you have to do the steps if you get lazy like John and I did and you don't do the proper steps you're going to have problems but as long as you do things correctly you'll end up with very consistent high quality results i think lazy you were delirious
2: what was that yeah. 6 days into I, dude, <laughs>
0: six-day yeah. class
2: i don't know yeah. if anybody out there has done but I, my shout out to you guys for getting through that, man, because I remember two or three days of Epic and I had to sleep for a week. It, it takes yeah. so much energy to be on like that at these events. And, and you know, even the small ones I've done at my shop, it took four or five days to clean up the shop and another four or five days to mentally even get back to what I would call normal. It it takes an insane amount of work and preparation and you're not even seeing what's happening on either side of that. Dude, it's so been that's what, pretty two, awesome. Two weeks I mean, now.
0: I haven't, I still haven't cleaned my shop.
2: Yeah. I, I hope everybody can appreciate the, uh, the amount of work that goes into these
0: things. And, yeah. And
2: it, and, and it, and it pays off because you're going to walk away from that. Uh, with so much knowledge and so much, um, so much to think about.
1: Well, that's what I'm going to digress to back to for just a second. So here we're focused and we're talking about the variations in training is the three of us, which we just done, and I didn't walk you through my method, but mine exactly is your guys's 75. Well, in a bucket anyway, same thing. Water up front, you know, ice water, plasticizer, pigment, 75% of your dry materials, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, so the three of us verbatim. Even though maybe it's you know different from an SCC to a clay mix to an ECC, it doesn't matter. All three of us knew exactly how to do it. So anybody listening, just so you know, in a bucket, Imers a little bit differently. I mean, your mixer's a little different because you're not going to fill your mixer with water to begin with without that water coming out the chute. So that's why the dry materials would go in first. But so still, seventy-five. Ask me how I know water will we'll, we'll come yeah, out right. the of <laughs> exactly. So, but where I'm going, is, so this information, if anybody's listening to this, or for who this, this actually transcends to all mixes. So be aware, seventy-five percent of your dry materials, liquids, plasticizer, pigments up front or as close as possible in a bucket. Water first, a bucket dry or a um, imer dry materials first, and then dose the last year mix. Accordingly, to keep the mix wet out. On top of that, give it some time. Here, we're calling it slake. Call it induction time. Call it whatever you want to call it. Give it some time to rest,
0: a minimum of ten minutes. No, 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 no. no. Don't say minimum ten minutes. Because you say minimum ten minutes, somebody's like, "Mm, minimum. That's that's the twenty
1: minutes would be better.
0: One hour. We do ours one hour. Ten minutes, not a minimum. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. Give it ten
1: minutes. And then kick that mix back in and you will have an unbelievable creamier mix, better to work with. And I'm just saying, although we talk about that with Maker Mix and Rad Mix, what we just described really transcends all mixes. If you're doing a basic GFRC, whatever the case might be. So for those other people, now you may see this in a training event. There you go. (laughs) Hopefully. They put it for everybody so that we don't get another call from someone who said, Hey, I just went, you know, such and such. And uh, but I'm moving to your stuff. And man, I can't mix this stuff at all. And I'm like, oh my goodness. No, you never do it that way. Do not do it that way. Yeah. And so that particular person, uh, one of them I just I called back today after a great conversation yesterday, which I'm gonna call it an enlightening conversation and asked him today like hey man how did it go and he's like oh beautiful thank you we had a great conversation so that in of itself you know moved him to a new level in what he's doing and i think that's great
0: yeah
2: you know though to your credit john i i i love the phone calls that i still get over the years and i've gotten a few of them from you yeah you know i was talking to so and so and He just, he's just been putting everything in the mixer and, and, and just, and it's been working and I, you know, I, I'm going to try it and I'm going to try it. Yeah. But you know what, after all these years, you've ended back up where we've always been, And you know, but, but for you, for everyone out there, we go out and we, we continually go back and uh, get out, (laughs) we continually go back and try. Doing it other ways all the time, thinking maybe this will work better, maybe this will be different with this mix, but it never is this 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 is born of years of experience and uh, a willingness to try anything once
0: in years of refinement right. that's the sort other of thing is you know yeah. like the application process you developed Joe, is years of refinement and you have to know you can't just read the label to to learn how to apply something and just do it that way from now until the end of time. You have to know what you're doing and why you're doing it to make adjustments, to make improvements. And that's what you did Is you have so much experience with ICT and applying ICT and why you apply it the way you apply it and what it's doing chemically that you developed different techniques that in the end were more user-friendly, uh, more uniform. That came through experience of doing this for clients day in, day out, you know, 365 days a year. So, Experience matters, guys. Experience matters. Don't let don't let the salesman tell you, hey, experience doesn't matter. We don't compete with you. No, 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 no. You want somebody that does this for a living teaching you what to do for a living. That's what you want. And yeah, there is plenty,
2: we're... there is plenty of room for everybody here.
0: There is, yeah. Right. Yeah. A there's thousand no percent. No lack of no lack of business. Nope. So yeah. the other thing I want to talk about is we've received a few questions on the Kodiak Pro Discussion group this week of people asking. Uh, cementitious content in maker mix and rad mix and how do you calculate the dosage of pigments i'll give you the real short answer john can give you a longer answer joe can give you a longer answer cut your dry ingredients in half and dose it based on that so for example for example let's say you're doing one pound one bag of mix which is 50 pounds right cut that in half 25 pounds 25 pounds of dry ingredients you're going to base your pigment on if you want to do one percent loading do 0.01 times 25, and that's going to give you a loading of 0.25 pounds. So 0.25 pounds for that bag of Maker Mix would be your correct loading if you want to do 1% loading. So it's based on half of the dry ingredients. Same with Rad Mix. You do Rad Mix, you're going to do Rad Mix, your own Portland, your own sand, add it all up, cut it in half, and then that's what you base your cement loading or your uh, pigment loading on is that that's what would be your quote-unquote cementitious content. Is it exact? No, but is it the most precise way to get accurate color? Yes.
2: Yeah, that totally works. And the real key is that you have consistency within your own calculations over time, you know, and if that's the way you do it, that's the way you always want to do it because it's going to give you the right loading, you know, for you. Uh, but if, you know, if you're loading 1%, you know, whatever, uh, jet pigment, and I'm loading 1% Jed Pigment, that's not the way I do it, and we will both have two different colors. But as long as you show your clients that, uh, things that you've made, and you use a consistent method for it over the years, you will have good success with that.
0: Yeah, we well, we have the cementitious content listed on the bags, number one. We have right. them on the, on the Maker Mix bag. The, um, the Rad Mix bags, they're in production. It's a six-month lead time. We ordered them a few months ago, so hopefully they'll be done You at know, some point by summer, I hope. But it's going to be listed on the bag as well. But it's on the website, Cementitious Content. But, you know, we could do Cementitious Content. But as John said in a previous podcast, for accurate color, what they found with his time way back in the day with Blue Concrete and Delta Performance when they used to do custom colors was you could do it based on Cementitious Content. But if they just cut the dry ingredients in half and dosed it based on that, they actually got a more accurate color that way than just doing it on Cementitious. So that's how we do it.
1: That's exactly what I was going to add in, that anybody who's still talking about making pigment loading back based on cementitious products and whether that's a GFRC 50, 50 mix. Now that one seems pretty obvious 50, 50, but um, if they're still teaching that way or instructing that way, just be aware that is so outdated information on the testing that we did when we were with blue concrete, which then we, you know, became part or owned buddy roads products. We tested it. So Sean and Delta Performance Products has the equipment to test color saturation. And we and it was an internal battle for a little while to either maintain old way of thinking, no, we have to know what the cementitious you know, we've got to calculate on that. But every time that we tested it, when you base it off 50% of your dry ingredient, that's when the color came out almost true every time to the given color sample not when we did cement cementitious and the reason for that is some mixes can be and depending on how you call your cementitious it could be 65 percent of the mix it could be 35 percent of the mix and then you got a bunch of you know silica flour or whatever the case may be in there and all of a sudden colors were all over the place and they never matched the benjamin moore color swatches that were tested against so Dry, 50% of your dry. That's the way to do it. Anybody teaching otherwise has no idea what they're doing. That's what I'm going to say.
2: Boom. I don't have any idea what I'm doing. There
1: you go. You don't know what <laughs> you're doing. Well, I've
2: always done it based on the spreadsheets that I have from you. So I hope you got it right. He does I have no
1: right. idea what I'm doing, Joe. What part of that <laughs> did you miss? <laughs>
2: That's actually a really good bit of information. And I think you did tell me that at one point, or I learned it at Blue. And that was a really interesting thing. I'll tell you, one of the biggest uh, nightmares we've had in the last couple of years, or, or my worst nightmare is a designer walking through the door with a color sample that I gave him or her like eight years ago, <laughs> going, yeah. I got this from you and I want it now. I'm just going, oh my God, I don't, oh, oh boy. And it just starts this tailspin of, of trying to make samples that match it, you know, three mixed designs later. Uh, you know, getting the color loading and pigment and everything adjusted right. Because Maker Mix handles color very differently than the old Buddy Rhodes mixes and the mix designs that we used before that.
0: So, Well, in curing, true. curing, which we talked about in last week's podcast, but we'll hit it again really briefly, is properly cured concrete, especially these ultra-fine particle mixes like Maker Mix and Rad Mix that cured a much denser consistency than a, than a very basic mix. But proper curing in these dense mixes yield much richer colors across board. Just plain white is a is a much darker shade of white than if we just air cure. Oh, it, so it's totally true. But one thing that's remained
2: consistent with us, I don't I can't even remember. It was so long ago that
0: we started heat curing. Well, uh, you can't remember, but a lot was, of people, you know, we, we just taught this class. This was new information for a lot of people. Oh, Um, I know, and I I, believe me,
2: I talk to people
0: all the time. I just go,
2: this is the one thing you can do. You get so much more color saturation and strength and just put a heating blanket or sunbeams over it or at least wrap it, oh my God, and just people's absolute headstrong refusal to do something like as simple as that. Um, But man, it's night and day. Just, you can't compare it. Yeah, And I've been doing it for, you know, probably 12 years now
1: at least first
2: first heat blankets and started doing that my head exploded
1: yep well and i understand part of it just i mean we won't get into sealers today but in this podcast but that curing technique that we all stand behind which once again is backed by years of experience doing product just this information alone isn't really shown in other places they still was like no no just put it in plastic you know and then we'll they come back in on day two or day three of whatever event and like ooh yeah let's let's open this up. What I, I told it and in, in the conversations I've had for the last few days, I even told Brandon this yesterday when I when I was talking to him. I'm gonna post some pictures on both the ICT and the Kodiak page, showing just that. I literally did all the curing techniques we talked about, but out of the same mix and the same pigment loading, I pulled one sample at 12 hours. I pulled, assuming like I, you know, finished at noon, so I, you know, pulled it about 10, 11 o'clock the following day. So I guess that's, you know, you know, really more like 11 hours. But anyway, um, and then so forth and so on. I, I gave it another x hours after that. Pulled one in the evening, and then gave one till the following day. You put all three of those pieces together. You'll see the pictures. It's, you know, I wouldn't call them night and day, but if you make that mistake in your curing and do half the kitchen one way, and then let's say, you know, half the kitchen you did on Thursday of the week and you came in and processed on Friday, and then you poured the other half of the kitchen on Friday and then decided to come back in on Monday to do your processing, and then wonder why half the kitchens don't match in color. Well, there you go.
0: Yeah. Hey, what do you, what do you mean? You poured it at noon on one day and then you demold it next day at noon and it's 11 hours. That's 24 hours.
2: Yeah. I, I'm still trying to figure that math out too.
0: No, I'm sorry. I, I meant I, I gave a 12
1: hour difference between each uh, of the samples. the difference. It's, gotcha. Yeah,
0: that was the difference. You that's, let it cure for 12 hours. You let it cure for 24, but then you 12 hours later you pulled the next sample. So you're, you're giving spacing. Gotcha.
1: Yeah, that's what I meant. I gave a, a 12 hour interval to pulling each of them and within reason it really, I mean, well, that's your logical answer, Brandon,
2: but mine is more that you know, it's that Murphy's (laughs) time warp that he lives in. It somehow ends up being the perfect place in the country, in the whole world to pour concrete and cure it and get better results than all of us. And you can't
0: figure out why you can't get that. John, (laughs) John is like variable frame rate. You know what variable frame rate is on phones where it drops like every third frame, but it, it, it makes the file size smaller. John does that when he speaks. He drops like every third to fourth word. He's, he's using sentences, but <laughs> there's words missing. You're like, what are you saying? What did you say? <laughs> huh? Because his, his mind is like four sentences ahead when he's talking. So anyways, I, I get what you're saying. The last thing I want to hit before we wrap this podcast is another question on the forum was somebody wanting to do an inch and a half countertop but do three-quarter-inch plywood in the bottom. So she was going to cast face down and embed three-quarter-inch plywood in the bottom to reduce weight. So a couple things on this. First thing is you're not saving that much weight for the amount of hassle going into it. So if you're even going to use foam or anything else to drop in the bottom, the amount of work, and people always underestimate hydraulic pressure, even hydrostatic pressure, two different things. But people underestimate it. So if you just sink foam down in, if you don't have a very robust, robust, can't even talk, support structure holding that foam dead flat positioned properly, it'll bow up and down, up and down, up and down, all the way down. And when you demold it, the inside of your countertop is like a roller coaster. And you go to put it on sleepers on your on your cabinets because you have that knockout that you formed. Well, now it's high here, low there, high here, low there. It's not making contact. It's rocking on this one. So then you have to build this really crazy support structure to hold the foam dead, dead, dead flat. So that's number one. If you were to use plywood, the plywood, you do not want to leave – her idea was to leave the plywood in and give you something to screw to. Well, you'd also don't want to do that. But you don't want to leave the plywood in there because the plywood will expand and contract, and it's going to ultimately create problems with the concrete. It'll start to crack the concrete over time. Maybe not this year, but two, three, four years down the road, you're going to have problems with that plywood expanding and contracting. So if you're doing inch and a half – Yeah. Well, if you're doing inch and a half. uh, Go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna say if you're doing inch and a half concrete, you're not saving that much by doing that method. And if it was me doing it, and I've done it hundreds and hundreds of times, I've cast tons of kitchens, tables, conference tables, whatever you whatever you can think of, inch and a half. I just cast it solid. It's quicker, it's easier when you go to install it. You're not having to put sleepers. Sleepers meaning you have to fur up something to, to make up for that void. And you can just set it directly on top of the cabinets if you're doing a kitchen, directly on top of the cabinets, shim it, get it good. You don't even have to put silicone down on top of the cabinets if you don't want to. You can just silicone up on the underside all the way along the front edge of that cabinet where that that rail or that style makes contact with the uh, with the concrete. You can just do it there because all you want to do is keep it from sliding around if somebody bumps into it more or less. And that way if somewhere down the road, 10 years down the road, somebody's like, hey, man, I don't like this concrete. I want to do whatever, corian or granite or whatever it is. They can just cut that silicone on the front. Pop the countertops, you're good to go. So that's the easy breezy, I don't want to like kill myself doing this kitchen countertop by saving, you know, seven pounds a square foot type thing. What are your thoughts, Joe? (laughs) Well, embedding the plywood (laughs) at some point, I think this is probably
2: about eight or nine years ago now, I got the bright idea to um, do just that. Do an upright casting, but embed three quarter inch plywood in it underneath and actually put screws in it so that it was bonded to the concrete above it. And, um, you know, then we would just cut all that up and take it down and just screw it in from underneath the cabinets. Easy peasy. The backers on it would be a piece of cake. That plywood literally cracked. It, it turned from heat curing to, you know, install. We had bananas. I mean, this plywood warped so bad and, and literally it, it cracked the plot, the concrete above it. It was mm. an absolute nightmare of a job. We had to recast it. And, uh, yeah, lesson learned. I don't know where that hair up my ass came from, but boy, don't do it. Whatever you do.
0: Joe seems very angry at plywood. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, is, this experience matters. Experience matters. Joe's gone down that road. Now, I've never done the plywood for my projects, but I have done foam, I have said, oh, I'm gonna try to save some weight. And I went to that process. And I didn't have it secured as rigid as I should, I ended up with the underside bowing up and down, up and down. And it, when you do that method, you do have to account for it when you install it. So then you do have to do sleepers on top of the cabinets. And that becomes a problem. So now you're sitting on there like, Oh, my God, this one's high, take it off, pull that one off, let's run through a table saw, put it back on, let's check it. Uh, still high, take it off. Pull that one, and you're like, why didn't I just do this solid? We would have been in and out four hours ago. You know, we could have just set them on the cabinet, slid them on, shimmed it, siliconed it, bada bing, bada boom, we're in and out. And so, but that's only through time and through through going down those roads that you learn that sometimes, you know, slow is fast, fast is slow. What you thought was going to save you time and energy and materials ends up costing you time and energy and materials when it's all said and done
2: inch and a half is kind of that weird magical number where it's, you know, two inches. We always put a knockout in the back and and suspend it. Uh, so we get a nice flat backside and, but it is knocked out and we have plenty of room for sleepers and shimming. Uh, but inch and a half is always that one that I hate to get because, you know, it's a lot heavier in an inch and a half, but it's not quite enough to knock out. You know, we, we always have that that internal battle. Um, I'm always kind of against casting solid slabs uh, and having, having, you know, having to install it on the cabinet with, it's actually pretty hard to get the backsides of those perfectly flat to the point where they lay on the cabinets. Nice. I've always had to wrestle them a little bit. Really?
0: I've when, never, I've when never we've installed them, do you, so whenever
2: we can, we'll actually knock the back. We'll actually knock the back out even in an inch and a half now, really Just to give us a little gym room.
0: Huh. Yeah. Well, me personally, a couple of things I've learned. It's,
2: it's totally a matter of of, of, of choice. Sure. And it, and it is possible to get them really flat if you have a perfectly flat table, you vibe it a little bit or whatever, and actually the key is not
0: trying to trowel it or do anything with it. Either, exactly. You want it to flow out
2: and settle and then kiss it with the grinder and be done with
0: it. That's what I was going to say is that's the one thing is way back in the day, I'm talking 2004 when I was doing Quickrete 5000 with rebar and welded wire fabric, you know, we would screed the underside and we'd try to trowel it, but you'd, it was always rough, you know, and you'd go to slide it on and you couldn't slide it. It wouldn't slide. It was so hard to get on. And then in time, once we got more into SEC GFRC, we end up with these really flat undersides, but there's occasional fiber, like, you know, kind of sticking up, like little bumps here and there. And so what I do is I do just very lightly. I'm not grinding the side. It's a quick one. So it takes me all of, you know, one minute on a normal Eight foot slab. I just go over it really quick just to knock off those. When I say they're sticking up, they're sticking up like a millimeter. They're just barely sticking up, but it's enough that when you go to slide it on the cabinet, if it catches just right, it'll hang up a little bit. So I knock those off. And the other thing I do, Joe, which we haven't really talked about, but I do spray while it's still in the form. I grind really quick. Um, Again, I'm just knocking off the high spots. While the edges are still on, I take spray in a can, matte quick dry polyurethane, water-based polyurethane, and I just do a quick once over, over the whole underside. And the reason I do that, a, it's breathable, but the reason I do it is to dust proof it. And so when you put it on their cabinet, it's not dropping little bits of dust in their cabinets, which I think everybody's experienced. If you've done this for quite a while, you'll do a kitchen, and somebody will call you, hey, all right, what well, I got dust in my cabinets. You know, what's going on? So I just do that very light coat. Again, I'm not slathering on. It's just really quick once over. It dries in just a couple minutes, and I flip it over. But that just dust proofs the underside to keep any dust from falling into the cabinets, you know, a year down the road. Yeah, that's a pretty good idea. We've always, I always try to make everybody, you know, flip them up and
2: power wash the underside of it. So it's really, you know, you just get everything off of there.
0: This pro tip is brought to you by Kodiak Pro. Kodiak Pro, for the best concrete in the world, use Kodiak Pro. Another thing I want to say is, <laughs> Joe... These pro tips we're giving, these, these are uh, pretty valuable for a free podcast, if you ask me. Nobody asked, but I'm just going right. to state, for a free podcast, and mind you, it is free, these are pretty, uh, pretty good information, if I do say so myself. Nobody gives
2: this stuff away like this,
0: uh,
2: and, and that's why you should listen here.
0: That's right. Always. Listen that's right. Listen to
2: every episode.
0: That's right. You're right, Joe. So anyways, that's just to address, I've heard, I've heard, you know, whatever online people like, Oh, it's just one big advertisement. Well, no, it's not one big advertisement. We share a ton of super valuable, relevant information, but we still talk about Kodiak Pro because we believe in Kodiak Pro. So anyways.
1: Well, we've been successful with it. There's yeah. no question about it. So the things we discuss, whether in this podcast started talking about training, which I'm just going to digress again to that for a minute. Anybody listen to this? This is what I'll say. I'm not against any training out there, you know, choose your training. If you want to go learn about, you know, some products out there, I think that's great. You know, you want to go learn some techniques, maybe that someone's doing again. I think that's great. But what I would encourage anybody is do their homework when they decide what kind of training they would like to go do. And and if it's a training that you want to go learn from people, well, we definitely want to do more stuff out here with Joe and Napa you, you want to learn from people who have been successful. When I say successful, I mean doing it as a business. They've dealt with clients, continue to deal with clients. They use the materials, stand behind those materials, Why they're what the steps of mixing, which we just said. Do your homework. Look at those things and then make those choices accordingly. You want to learn how to use an epoxy? Well, go learn from a company and their epoxy. Uh, what drives me bananas is per where we started is to get a phone call, a tech support question based on something they learned somewhere else that's, in my opinion, based on our experience, is so back-ass words, it makes no sense.
0: Yeah. Well, so, you, you know. talked about experience, but the two points of that is, have, have, has the company that you're learning from done this relatively recently, like in the last year or two? Because if they did it five well, years least. ago, five years ago, they're not relevant anymore. 10 years ago, they're really not relevant. 17 years ago, uh, yeah, you know, might as well go to a pay phone and call us on that. That's just so old. It's so out of date. But the second thing is, how long have they been doing it? Because there might be some new people out there teaching classes. Well, hey, we're, we're glad for you, but how long have you been doing it? You've been doing it for two years, three years? Again, you don't have that breadth of experience and knowledge to fully understand why you're doing what you're doing. It takes a lot of time. It's experience on, is it relevant? And how long have you been doing it? And those two things are right. extremely important. You know, if I go to a doctor, I don't want to get the guy that just finishes internship. I want to get the guy that's done 100 of the surgeries I need to have done. You know, the guy that actually right. has experience doing it, not the guy where I'm his first first victim that he's going to try this technique out on, you know. Someone who's still trying
1: to do bloodletting. Exactly. <laughs> from the, you know, from the early <laughs> days. Well, and that's why hopefully we expand on this on future podcasts. I want to keep this whole thing going because – There's so much information just on materials that it's so outdated. It's ridiculous that, you know, that I I don't, I don't understand why it's still being taught by some people. Um, And then at some point we'll get into sealers as well. Uh, It's not pro or con sealers, but you know, some of the technologies that are being still taught out there as your end all be all based on the philosophy behind it is, you know, I'm going to say difficult as best. And oftentimes Taught behind people who have no relevant information, putting it in, in a client's home.
0: So. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's all material resellers. That's my point. We're not picking on just one company. I'm talking about the entire industry that services this sector. All of yeah, them. Tough. All of them are salesmen. None of them do it for a living. It's just it's so hard to to. Believe anything somebody says. This is the best sealer. This works this way, or porcelain, or mix, or whatever it is. If they actually don't do it, and if they don't have experience doing it, and you know, having to essentially pay their bills with whether it worked or didn't work, and that's that's what makes everything we do and the information we share a thousand times different. We can go on and on. And, and and
2: if you still don't get it, pick up the phone and call us. And that's the really insane part that I hope people can appreciate, that amount of time that I know John spends on the phone doing tech support. And I'm right. You know, I don't spend as much time as him, but I still get a lot of calls too. I'm always happy to pick up the phone. I'm always happy to answer it and walk through it with you. And I'm telling you, no one else in this industry that sells product will do that or be able to actually give
0: you relevant information. They'll talk to you until you're blue in the ear. Yeah. But it'll just be running in circles. We don't have to we don't, we don't have binders. We don't have binders. That we flip to yeah, right? what, what problem do you yeah. have? Hold, hold on, hold on. Let me flip to the Medicalin page. Okay, so what are you doing again? Okay, well this says <laughs> yeah, there's none of that here. So when you talk yeah. to us, you talk to the people to actually do this, know what they're talking about. Again, yeah, we yeah, no tech on.
1: data sheets to pull from. Exactly. Yeah.
0: We go on and on, but we got to wrap yeah. this thing up. Joe, you had some things you want you wanted to cover before we finish yeah, I
2: just wanted to remind everybody, you know first off, just say thank you. and just uh sincere thank you from the bottom of my heart from everybody that has been uh, purchasing less and quantities from me. Um, you know we we really go out of our way to to service you guys, and uh, we're happy to do it. Uh, we really believe in the product, and uh, thank you for the materials that you order. To that end, um just a reminder to everybody that I am the sole distributor for the U.S. for less than pallet quantities of Kodiak Pro. If you want five bags, if you want 10 bags, if you want one bucket, um, small amounts of plasticizer. We now have the colors in stock. I've got a new shipment in of PVA-15s and a great new fiber that I really like, PVA-100s, so we can bundle everything together on one little mini pallet and send it out to you to get a smaller project done. Don't be intimidated by you know, uh, looking into Kodiak, it is totally available to you in any quantity that you want. Um, yeah. 14 pallets or, or, or a small, uh, you know, 10 pallet mini-palette with, coupled with a small amount of plasticizer and just enough color to get that project done.
0: We hope to, here in the near future, start offering um, these half-palette or whatever we decide on, whatever works best for, for Joe, quantities that will really kind of help expedite this whole process for people that don't need a full pallet, but, you know, need 10 bags, 15 bags, 20 bags, whatever it is. Joe's going to have some set sizes pre predetermined that will kind of be a quick ship, ready-to-go option.
2: Yeah, we want to make it real easy to order. And, uh, you know, we're going to throw in a couple little little things. I want to give everybody a sampler of these colors, um, a little bucket to mix up a bag and, and start seeing these great, The four Kodiak colors that are being offered, we can do those in smaller quantities for you. And um, yeah, we're trying to put together a little package that we think will help incentivize people to really uh, take the leap and not just order a bag and pour some small samples in their shop, but do their first project with it. No, exciting. And yeah, and one other thing too. We don't, I don't sell the sealer. So a lot of you have called and um, wanted to get, you know, a couple of quarts of the sealer uh, put in their box. Just to clarify to everybody, that is totally available on the Kodiak Pro website. You can order a quart or a gallon. You don't have to couple it with a pallet. Ships direct from John, and uh, that is where you get the ICT sealer. ITC. ITC, doctor, doctor, Docker.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, guys, Joe, John, it's been a good conversation. It has absolutely.
2: Thank you for having Great, me. Guys. Absolute pleasure to talk to you guys. Uh,
1: and I also want to yeah. say kudos to you. Although you hear it from me when I give you a call, is the boundaries you've been pushing, both with these materials, the reinforcement techniques. You know, and again, we were talking about innovating. You know, there's some really cool stuff that you've been doing, man. So. <laughs> you know kudos to you for taking this material and really pushing the boundaries with it so that's pretty amazing
2: thank you and there are some great things coming
0: thank you joe for being such a great brand ambassador we couldn't have asked for a better distributor for the products in the united states and we're super happy that you're part of the kodiak pro family so thank you thank yeah. you brandon
2: i'm more than happy to do it
0: awesome all right, all right guys well, next hug. Time. All right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: adios all right guys
1: Adios.